BFT. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald faced truth. I think when you look across the league at the other teams who are playing in the playoffs and what they did this last week, okay, I think you'll see a lot of high level players playing in their football games. I think that that's fair to say. I think you'll see all the, you know, the big time quarterbacks, big time players were out there for their football teams because they have to be. Okay, there's only 48 guys that you can choose from. And these aren't easy decisions. They're not easy decisions. And hindsight is perfect for everybody on the outside. But these games are not easy to manage. They're not because you don't have that many players. And we did it to the best of our ability. More timeouts left. This is the game. This is the season for one of these teams. 30 to 28. Snap. Kick is up. Kick is good. The Chargers are out of the playoffs. Pandemonium at TIAA Bank Stadium. This is going to be a long flight home, a long offseason, and absolutely inexplicable. There are no words to describe what we witnessed here tonight. The Chargers in complete control of this game at 27 to 0 somehow find a way to snatch defeat from the hands of victory. We'll be back, unfortunately, to break it all down. 31-30, Jaguars advance. Look, I've had bad weeks, man. We've all had bad weeks. Nothing breaks right. Feels like the world's against you. You know, and most of the time, it's just your mindset. I get that. You get that. Hopefully, as you progress, you grow, you become a full-fledged adult inside and out. You realize that. Brandon Staley did not have a good week. I'll be honest. I'm amazed they let him on the plane. I'm amazed that he didn't get done in the end zone after that game. Now, Chargers players are defending coach Brandon Staley after that 31-30 playoff loss to the Jaguars. Inexplicable. Unbelievable. That game, and uh, I was not really watching that game with my full attention, especially when it's 27 nothing Chargers in the first half. Herbie's rolling. They're not missing Mike Williams. Obviously, the defense is going crazy. They're picking off everything that Trevor Lawrence is putting up there. Chargers are rolling. And there's a lot of sports on this Saturday. I don't need to really watch this. Three NFL games. I got the got a Blazers game tonight to watch. I want to do some other things around the house. This is one I can sort of walk away from. Uh, turns out, maybe I should have stayed on the couch. Twitter started simmering up with uh, the news of the epic choke, choke job. And it took me back to... Uh, Being a teenager, watching the uh, Warren Moon-led Oilers against the uh, Buffalo Bills, I think Frank Reich, the backup, Jim Kelly's backup was the quarterback in that game. I remember that collapse. Now, that wasn't as bad as this Chargers collapse by a point standpoint. But when you take into account the Week 18 playing the starters, Mike Williams gets hurt, and you throw it all together, You add social media into the recipe. I don't know that anyone has had a worse weekend than Brandon Staley. Now, 
You can say they miss Mike Williams, and they did, because who wouldn't miss Mike Williams? But really, it was the second-half defense. The offense sputtered down the stretch. You can look at their point totals by quarter, and I don't even, I don't have it in front of me, but it's like 17, 10, 3, 0. That's a problem in the playoffs. You can't give that game up. Brandon Staley under fire. Chargers players are defending him. Justin Herbert said after the game, everyone would be lucky to have a coach like Staley. He's been a great leader, has the respect of everyone on the team. He's genuine. He's himself. He's been the same person for the past two years. Joey Bosa also noted it's his second season saying that he does trust the coaching staff. He's a fresh head coach in the league to expect. He's going to know everything right away. is kind of silly. And uh, Bosa goes on to say, he thinks that they need to just keep building. It doesn't happen overnight. And you know what? That's true. That really is true. It doesn't happen overnight. That being said, if you're the chargers, the time to strike is this season, next season. It's before you have to give Justin Herbert his money. That's the recipe in the NFL. You know, Russ Wilson, uh, the Rams made a Super Bowl with Jared Goff before they had to overpay him, even though, with all due respect, he had a nice season in Detroit. We see it all across the league. Have an overachieving quarterback before he's about to make that crazy money, put talent around him, and maximize the talent. Now, the issue is the maximizing of the talent. He mishandled a meaningless Week 18 game. Mike Williams broke his back, fractured his back. The weekend loss to Jacksonville after being up 27 to nothing. Now, there are reports that the team, ownership, management, is supporting Staley, but you should expect maybe changes to the uh, to the coaching staff. Maybe you know an offensive coordinator, maybe some defensive uh, you know coaching changes there. Should Brandon Staley go for that performance on Saturday? I think he does, and I have no disrespect toward Brandon Staley. You can't let that game slip away. You can't mismanage. That week 18 game should Staley go. Sean Payton's out there. A lot of good coaches out there. 503-417-7575. I want your calls right on the top of the show. Eugene, Fox Sports Eugene brings you the Chargers every single week. You're familiar with Justin Herbert and the Chargers. You're familiar with Brandon Staley. I want to hear from you especially. Stephen Vaughn in the house. I know you watched this game. By the way, you liked Jacksonville in this game. I know you made a few bucks. Should Brandon Staley go? Yeah, and uh, you know I don't feel good about it. Uh, it was a uh, definitely not. It shouldn't have won. The Chargers should have won that game, but uh, I'll, I'll be happy to take the money. But, yeah, I mean, I think Brandon Staley – needs to go the future the, the the hard part about it is though and the negative is if you don't hire the next good coach and he fails as well what does that do with justin herbert does he have confidence in the in the team um what does that do to his progress just as a professional you know we've seen you know guys start out really good in their career and then they get the wrong coaches and then they fall off a little bit that's the one fear is that you can't just keep switching coaches it'll be his third head coach in what four or five seasons right like, that's that's the fear is that you keep changing things for him, and even though he is so talented and good, he's gonna figure it out and be fine. But maybe he won't reach that high potential as always. So I mean, that's the one fear you have if you if you do fire Brandon Staley. But it seems like me, Peter, like he's got to go, man. Just bad decision after bad decision, and to lose this game after being up twenty-seven zero 
and winning the turnover battle five to zero. You're plus five in turnovers and you still lose a playoff game. Like that's inexcusable. I think at the very minimum, um, Lombardi, the offensive coordinator, he's got to go. Yeah. He he doesn't seem to have he doesn't seem to know Justin Herbert's skill set. Like he wants them to throw short passes, doesn't want to throw deep. Like the dude's got a cannon and he doesn't want to throw that ball down the field. So I don't know. I think Lombardi's got to be gone for sure, but. I think I think Staley's got to be gone as well. What do you think about throwing, just backing up the Brinks truck and throwing forty, fifty, sixty million dollars at Sean Payton? I would love it. I would love it. But the the question is, does, where does he want to go? Does he want to go to the Chargers? And Spanos, the owner of the Chargers, like he's been noticeably, like, relatively cheap in his career. Yeah. Now, I mean, they are in L.A. Now, the you know, the down in L.A. at the big SoFi Stadium, they do need to make a splash. Maybe he's willing to spend a little buck, but at the same time, like. In his career, he hasn't been uh, hasn't been that uh, thrifty. He's been very thrifty with his money, not not willing to spend it all. So, I think you got to go after a guy like Sean Payton or another offensive coach, Brandon Staley, defensive coach. You got to give the offensive coach in there, especially in the NFL, the way that's trending. Yeah, and again, defensive coach. You look at that defense in the second half, twenty four points in the second half. Of course, he gave a late uh, a late touchdown toward the end of the the first half as well. Trevor Lawrence. I mean, look, he deserves credit. A brutal, brutal first half for Trevor Lawrence. The overall stats, not great. I mean, uh, you know, 28 to 47, 288 yards, four picks, four touchdowns. That's not, you know, 31.6 QPR. Not great. But look, he, after that first half, he found a way to just play efficiently enough, get some drives going, get some scores going. I really want to shout him out for not folding. I mean, I think last year to the uh, the first round series where Kyler Murray went out against the Rams, he looked like he had never played football before. And that's easy to do when it's your first time. We see this all the time, and not just in the NFL. We see it in all sports. You see it in the NBA, the, that first playoff appearance where you have a good team. Maybe they won 48 games, but it's their first year after a three, four, five-year rebuild. They go out and they get shellacked by a vet team. And the Chargers, obviously, not a real vet team when it comes to the playoffs. But uh, Trevor Lawrence could have folded there, and he didn't. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. So, Stephen, I just want to shout him out. I mean, it, it, it would have been so easy for him after his performance in that first half to say, well, you know, better luck next year. Just didn't have it. I let my team down. Yeah, in your first NFL playoff game, like, four interceptions in the first half. That's brutal, man. That, that's got to be tough to bounce back from, but you got to give him credit. And he really did, you know, he, he acted like nothing happened and he just kept slinging the ball down the field and, you know, it paid off in the end. And I think it, he'll be better for it as well, you know, knowing that he can go through this type of adversity and come out the other side. So, I, you know, again, like you said, hats off to Trevor Lawrence, man. He really stuck it out uh, in a game where it's like, you know what, if he would have thrown another interception, five, six, like he probably would have had to bench him at some point. Like he was on the oh, yeah. verge of being benched Instead, he gets his first playoff win. So, yeah, you get to give head off. 503-417-7575. What should the Chargers do with Brandon Staley? Uh, let's go to Bruce in Portland. He wants to talk about the game. What's up, Bruce? Hey, Peter. Happy holiday. Here Thank today. you. You too. Yeah, uh, this took me back to the freaking Civil War this year. It's just like, are you freaking kidding me? You know, you're ready to walk away from the game because you think it's in the bag, and all of a sudden it's just like, you know, but the Chargers' ammo, I think they should keep Staley. Unfortunately, I think they need another offensive coordinator. They need to get a frick, a running game going. 60 yards rushing is not going to do it in that game, you know, period. But their MOL season has been lack of second-half scoring, you know. It just hasn't happened for some reason. 
Um, they had chances to win that game. You know, that missed chip shot for a field goal at the yep. end. They uh, Bosa, stupid freaking personal foul at the end, you know, pushed them close enough to try that two-point conversion, which they succeeded in. Um, I mean, Herbert's numbers, you look at his numbers, despite Mr. Williams, they were pretty good, you know. No picks. He had almost 300 yards of passing, but they have no rushing game, you know. And in playoff games, you have to have a running game. Otherwise, the, the D is just going to focus on, on your passing game. Yeah. Um, but they need to do some shakeup, I think, in the coaching staff and try and figure out, you know, how to complement Herbert in there with, with some – I mean, Eckler's pretty good behind him, but they've got to figure something out to get more of a rushing game going. Yeah, appreciate the phone call. Appreciate you listening here in Portland, Bruce. Yeah, I mean, Eckler, he had the – I think he had two touchdowns, but, I mean, less than three yards a carry. You know, Joshua Kelly got a, got a handful of carries as well. It wasn't a really balanced attack. Herbert, he had the one TD because, obviously, they had the, the d- defensive touchdowns there. Herbert's number is not bad. Look, 25 of 43, maybe you want a little bit more efficiency there, but that's not bad. 273 yards is good, no picks. It was a fine performance from Justin Herbert. Maybe you're hoping for a little bit more, but you're certainly not disappointed in that. In his first playoff appearance, it's all right. You know, but to your point, Bruce, you're right. You you can't have, you, you know, 23 carries for 67 yards. Austin Eckler, 13 for 35. He did have the two touchdowns. Uh, Joshua Kelly, 7 for 20. Herbert, three times for 12 yards. You know, the longest uh, rush that they had in the game was 13 yards. It needs to be divided just a little bit. I completely agree with that. 503-417-7575. Let's go to Bradley in Lake Oswego. What's up, Bradley? Yeah, hey, guys. Happy New Year. Thanks. What's on your mind? So, uh, yeah, so, you know, one of the things I thought about when that game was over was uh, just the difference between, you know, a coach that's won a Super Bowl in his halftime speech and a guy who, you know, has, you know, barely been in the playoffs in his halftime, halftime speech. I mean, what, what could have those halftime speeches been? I guess that's my question about leadership. And um, I think you've got to keep them. But, you know, I have to – I mean, what what did he say up 27 and nothing, you know, to come out and be just the opposite of that? So I just love to see your guys' take on those halftime speech thoughts. Yeah, appreciate the phone call, Bradley, listening in Lake O. And, Stephen, I have to hand it to you because what did you say the difference in this game was going to be? Coaching. Coaching. And, and that's the thing, Doug Peterson. And if you look at the Jags all year, they've won seven out of the last eight games now. But a lot of them have been comebacks in the second half. Yeah. The Cowboys, the Titans. Uh, I think back to that Week 18 game, they were down going into half. They ended up winning that game. They beat the Cowboys in overtime. They beat the Raiders as well, uh, where they had to come back and win. Like, that's been the Jaguars' MO all season. And Trevor Lawrence has even made quotes about that, saying, like, you know what? We go in the locker room. They give me more confidence. We make adjustments. And we go from there. And that's exactly what happened in this game. Like, you talk about me winning some money. Like, I bet live on the Jags to win the game because that's the way they've played all year. What'd you get? Plus 750, I, I, I think. I got plus 750, and it got even higher than that. Like, <laughs> that's when it was like 17 to 0. I was yeah. like, oh, I can't get much worse. No, it got way worse than that. But, like, you know, as a guy who, you know, somewhat follows the Jaguars, that's what they've done all season long. They get down and they make comebacks at the end of the game. And that's what they did this time. And it was the coaching staff again, like the caller said, like you're saying right here. I think this one has to go on Brandon Staley. Like, you can't be up 27-0, make no adjustments, and lose this game. 
503-417-7575. One more before the break. Let's go to Mark in Portland. Mark, what do you think, man? Hey, how you doing? I, I think when you lose a game with a 27-point lead, pretty much everybody's to blame. So, I mean, I'm I'm a big duck guy and a big Justin Herbert yeah. guy. But right now, I mean, even though he's all-time NFL uh passing leader in his first three years in the NFL, it's the regular season. It doesn't mean near as much as the postseason. So Trevor Lawrence and Daniel Jones took a step forward. I think Justin Herbert and their coach and the Chargers as a whole took a step backwards. There's no excuse for losing the game when you have a 27-point lead. Just, uh, it, you know, it's, it's a historical thing, and when that happens, it's usually the other team's doing everything right. As badly as Trevor Lawrence played when the game was on the line, he came up with big plays. And Justin, you know, had a couple passes that were thrown high where he had guys open. And, you know, everybody, everything just went wrong for them. You have to have a total collapse and and the other side doing everything right to come back from 27 points. But it was difficult to watch because I really wanted to see Justin take the next step. Yeah, I did too. Appreciate the phone call, Mark, as always. Yeah, it was tough. You talk about him missing some throws. I mentioned, you know, I say the numbers were pretty good, only one TD, 273 yards, but you did want more efficiency. Like, he missed Keenan Allen specifically. And I know Keenan Allen, I think he had five or six receptions, but he had to have been targeted. I can look it up real quick. Yeah, he was he was targeted 13 times, six receptions. That's a below 50% rate. You can't have that. Maybe if Mike Williams is getting a couple of those throws, that might make the difference. I Like, again, you, you look at the yardage, you look at the uh, relative efficiency, you go, well, I mean, was he missed that much? But, again, sure hands, playoff game, a guy that you know can find the end zone, all, all it took, Stephen, was one more score. Yeah, that's all it takes. And, you know, you can blame the kicker, you can blame the quarterback, you can blame the coaching staff, whatever you want to blame. But I think the ultimate thing is being up 27-0 in a playoff game and winning the turnover battle 5-0, to and then you end up losing, someone's got to pay the price. Whether that's the head coach, you know, it's not going to be a change at quarterback, but whether you, you no. know, whether you upgrade the offensive line or you get different skill position guys, get a new kicker, do something. They're going to have to do something with the decision. It's just a matter of what they want to decide. But this is one of those losses that someone needs to pay the price, price for sure. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see over the coming weeks, Chargers, man, giving that game away. All due credit to Jacksonville. Look. They had the opportunity presented to them, and they took advantage of it, but the Chargers absolutely collapsing. I'll take your calls, 503-417-7575. You can follow me on Twitter, at Peter Sampson, S-A-M-P-S-O-N. Got a big show, 4 o'clock hour, Sean Hike and Rose Garden Report. Going to talk some trailblazers. Boy, they had a good weekend, didn't they? Anytime you blow out a team ahead of you in the standings, back-to-back games, it's a good weekend. We'll catch up with him, and we'll talk general NBA as well. Look, that's the best thing about hiking is, I mean, he's he's written for The Athletic. He's written for Bleacher Report. Yeah, he's on top of the Blazers. Like, uh, frankly, in my opinion, no one else in this market, but he's got experience around the league. It's MLK Day. It's a holiday. It's the NBA holiday. So we're going to bounce around the league a little bit, but I want to talk about the Trailblazers. GP2 has made his way back. Nasir Little came back last night. Looked good. Justice Winslow hopefully coming back soon. We'll do that in the 4 o'clock hour. But coming up next... Man, we've got a lot of NFL playoff results to get through here. Giants, 
no surprise to me, knocked off the Vikings. Of course, the Bengals defense secured a trip to the divisional last night. Uh, a whole lot more NFL to get to. I'm Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Down. Not a lot of guys down here. This Minnesota defense. A little pitch. Barkley looking for a seed. Great cut. Saquon Barkley in for the touchdown. An immediate answer by the Giants. Saquon Barkley and the New York Giants had themselves a game. Let's talk about it. I'm Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the BFT short show today here on the flagship station. We're taking you to uh, the Monday night football edition of Super Wild Card Weekend. So we'll take you just a little bit past five o'clock. If you're in Eugene, Roseburg, Klamath Falls, definitely stay tuned there for great uh, programming in your market. The uh New York Giants look good. Now, this was the least surprising uh, result of the weekend to me. I did not like Minnesota in this game. I did not trust Kirk Cousins. And it's funny because Kirk Cousins statistically was awesome. He was awesome. 31 of 39, two touchdowns, no picks. He wasn't sacked. Now, how, Samson, can you have beef with Kirk Cousins after a performance like that? All I got to point you to is their final play of the game where they need, I believe, eight yards. might have been nine yards. It's fourth down. You got to get something. I mean, look, you're really hoping for a post route so you can get out of bounds, even though most likely that's going to be covered. You're probably going over the middle, and you're trying to run up and spike the ball. And what does Kirk Cousins do? A little dink and dunk. He checks down and does a little three-yard dink pass. I think maybe the receiver got another yard or two before uh, being taken down. And that's all she wrote. Kirk Cousins, man, you had a chance to get off the snide. It didn't happen. So the Giants moving on to face the Eagles, 31-24 to the final uh, yesterday. The date and time of that uh, next matchup has not been announced yet. Now, this is the Giants' first playoff victory since they won the 20. 20- 11 Super Bowl and uh, Saquon Barkley nine carries for 53 yards two touchdowns I'm surprised he only got nine Uh, he did catch five balls out of the backfield for 56 yards which doesn't surprise me Saquon's so dangerous in the uh, backfield there especially against that Minnesota defense but uh, Daniel Jones very nice game 24 of 35 301 yards two touchdowns no picks He also ran 15 times for 79 yards. That's obviously his first career playoff game. Very nice performance there. Now, uh, Saquon Barkley dropped the E word after that game. What's the E word? He says, I know we have an elite quarterback. He's shown that multiple times. Now, look. I'm going to go ahead and ask Saquon. I know Saquon is feeling himself. A couple touchdowns. Daniel Jones had a big game. Let's just go ahead and pump the brakes on elite. But that was a hell of a performance. I mean, look, 
if there was anything that was going to, in my opinion, keep the Giants from winning this game, it was going to be Daniel Jones. It just was. Saquon's healthy for the first time in what feels like forever. You know, he's had a nice season. The Vikings, despite being 13-4, and four, were not a great team. Negative point differential, you know, bad defense. Kirk Cousins, when it matters, I, I loved the Giants. But part of me said, man, I don't know. Is Daniel Jones, how is he going to play under the bright lights? Very, very big answer from Daniel Jones. Stephen Vaughn, elite, though. Ah, no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm not ready to go there. But I will say, I mean, I'm not big on Daniel Jones, but I think that was probably his best game he's ever played. I think so. And it was in the biggest spot. And there is something to that, right? Like we talked about. You, know, you talk about Kirk Cousins, how he's choked under the pressure a lot. Daniel Jones did not do that, and he stepped up in his first playoff game you know, with the New York media all down his throat. I think he earned himself at least another shot with the Giants, if not a long-term contract with the Giants, and see if you know him and Dable can put something together that continues his run. Um, and I think the opposite in, in Minnesota. like Kirk Cousins never seemed like the answer. He always kind of struggled there. But I feel like on that last play, and you you touched on it, like, just such a bad decision there. And his quote after the game was interesting. He said he saw single high coverage, tried to work Justin Jefferson, but didn't feel good putting it up to him. So he dumped it off to uh, TJ Hawkinson instead because he thought he was going to get sacked. Yeah. Like, you know, in that type of, that type of situation, you got to try to get the ball to Justin Jefferson. You got to at least give it a shot to give it over the first down marker instead of a guy three yards down the field, five yards short of the first down marker with someone draped all over him. I mean, just bad decisions. But the thing about Daniel Jones, Peter, that I really love, and I, I'm interested to see how it works out against the Eagles next week, is he's so good at you know keeping plays alive and then running down the field and getting that first down. I think if the Giants want a chance to beat the Eagles, they're going to have to continue doing that, but also slow the game down because that Eagles offense is so good. Do you think that Daniel Jones can go on the road next week into Philadelphia, the number one seed, and do what he did against the Vikings, but to a better Eagles defense than the Vikings are. Yeah, and that's the real challenge, right? I mean, the Vikings defense is nothing impressive, but that's not to take away from what Daniel Jones did. That's why I think this is going to be a really interesting game here. Uh, Philadelphia, uh, obviously, you know, the, the sort of the favorite in the NFC all year long, even though I don't think it's clear cut. But if Jones plays like this, New York has a legit chance to upset them. Truly. Like they, they have Saquon Barley Barkley. He's a dual threat, you know, out of the backfield. But if Daniel Jones is that accurate, he's finding guys. And you mentioned it, keeping the plays alive. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. I'm going to scramble for 12 yards, you know, on third and 10, third and nine. And I'm going to get that first down. Anything can happen. We don't know how Jalen Hurts is going to uh, perform. I know he's dealing with a lot of pain. Now, pain doesn't necessarily uh, mean that he's going to have trouble throwing the ball, but it might. I mean, it's a real thing. So I think if this version of Daniel Jones lasts longer than just one magical Sunday, I'm not saying the Giants are going to win this game, but I think it's going to be a little more intriguing than I anticipated uh, before this. Yeah, and for the, in the NFL, if, you don't, if you're a big underdog, just like the, the Giants are against the Eagles, you're going to get an upset win on the road. you got to you know, get these long drives. You know, We'll probably talk about this later with the Ravens-Bengals game, but that's what the Ravens did. They had, an, they had an over an 11-minute drive that turned into a touchdown. And those are the type of things that you need to do against the better teams when you're not as talented. And I think Daniel Jones you know, has shown the ability to do that now, especially even on the biggest stage. So I am interested in that game. Um, I've been a little down on the Eagles way more than I probably should be as a yeah. number one seed, but I, I'm really interested to see 
if Daniel Jones and you know the hype train coming in now, now that he now that he has a lot of backers, I think he had a lot of questions around him, and the fans really doubted him. Now fans are on his side. How does he react to that going into the playoffs next week? Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, Still more NFL to recap. We're going to jam a couple games in next. Seahawks, 49ers. It was a good year, Seahawks, and it was a good half. Uh, 49ers uh, took charge. Of course, you have uh, Bengals-Ravens. We have Bills-Dolphins. That was a great game. We'll kick all that around on the other side. I'm Peter Sampson in for JC. This is the Bald Face Truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's still the bald-faced truth, even though I have a luscious head of hair. That might have been the single play of Super Wild Card Weekend so far. Sam Hubbard returning Tyler Huntley's fumble 98 yards for a tie-breaking touchdown in the fourth quarter. Bengals defense securing a trip to the AFC Divisional. Beat the Ravens 24-17. Sets up a game with guess who? The Buffalo Bills, of course, the uh, Bengals and Bills had their regular season game canceled just a couple weeks ago with uh, DeMar Hamlin's medical emergency there. So now we do get a matchup. Steven, I'm really looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too. You know, the Bengals, I I thought that this game was going to be a lot closer than everyone else did. You know, the spread was really big. It seemed like everyone was just in love with the Bengals. I thought for sure that the Ravens would stay close, and they did because, you know, it's a division matchup. They're very used to one another. John Harbaugh, very good coach, um, but you know what? Did not have Tyler Huntley. No, did not reach the ball over in that situation. I don't Mm -hmm. know if I'm going to blame Huntley, the coaching staff, whatever, but, like, we've seen how successful quarterback sneaks are now when you just throw the fullback or an offensive lineman or somebody right behind the quarterback and just push him forward, and the Ravens already have uh, Patrick Ricard, who's, like, you know, 290-pound fullback, like, that seemed like the obvious play, but Huntley reaches out, and it's just a great heads-up play by the Bengals. I mean, you got to give them credit as well. It will be interesting to see now going into next week how the Bengals react to playing the Bills again. Uh, their left tackle, Jonah Williams, he's week-to-week with a dislocated kneecap now. You go back and look at this game against the Ravens. I believe they gave up four sacks. The offensive line's already a question for Cincinnati. Now you're going to Buffalo, you know, tough place to play. I think I like the Bills a lot, but it'll be very interesting to see how they react because they already have the mindset of the NFL is against us, the Bills are against us, everyone's kind of out to get the Cincinnati Bengals, and now they got a chance to prove it. Yeah, and I think that out-to-get-us mentality, I, it's worth a lot. Even if the NFL is not out to get you, or the NBA is not out to get you, or the officials aren't out to get you, having that mentality uh, goes a long way in professional sports. Now, Joe Burrow, this is incredible, in his third season, he is now the Cincinnati Bengals' all-time leader for postseason pass completions. 
third year. And oh, by the way, he missed most of that first year with the knee injury. Uh, very impressive. 23 of 32, 209 yards, uh, one touchdown. Uh, Joe Mixon, 11 carries, only 39 yards. Not a lot of action for on the ground for Cincinnati. While uh, for Baltimore, no surprise whatsoever with Tyler Huntley under center. Uh, 155 rushing yards for the Ravens. And yeah, you called it. I did not expect this game to be this close. But ultimately, the Bengals defense steps up. When they needed a big play, uh, take advantage of Huntley's mistake. And I got to shout out Jamar Chase, man. Nine catches, 84 yards and a touchdown. I was uh, one of the chorus of people saying, why in the hell did you not take, uh, you, you know, Panay Sewell or a different offensive lineman? You need to get Burrow some help. You need to protect him. He already wrecked his knee grotesquely. Well, here he is for a second year starring in the playoffs. I mean, but at the same time, like, they do have one of the worst offensive lines in the league. So they could use they do Sewell, still, yeah. Sewell at the same time. But, like, you are right. Like, Jamar Chase, he is a baller. And, you know, the thing about him is he always he always seems to make the first guy miss. And so you always have to be so aware of where he is on the field. And we saw it uh, last night when they are playing. You know, he's running these deep out routes. But guys are, you know, 5, 10 yards off him. And he's getting easy 10, 15-yard catches down the field, even on, like, third and tens. Because you have to respect that speed, like, you know, him and Burrow obviously have a great connection going forward. And Joe Burrow, man, you talked about it. Like, he, you know, how good is he? Is he, you know, a top one quarterback? Like, is he, is he maybe the best quarterback in the NFL? Like, he is that good. And he's brought the Bengals to being, you know, legitimate Super Bowl contenders the last two seasons. I think we're still underestimating how good this guy really is. And, you know, he's fun to watch. He seems like a cool dude. And uh, he's really embraced Cincinnati and that offense. Really hums with him. I, I I love that guy. Yeah, I mean, look, he's got a great arm and he's a smart quarterback. But on top of that, he just he's got that clutch gene. I wonder if he stole that from Tom Brady. I don't know. Even though I'm not discounting Brady yet tonight, uh, but he just he finds a way to beat you. That goes back to LSU too. I mean, wherever he plays, he's just a winner. Some guys are simply like that. Real quick, the uh, the final game of the uh, weekend slate. Well, the Seattle Seahawks had a nice year, and they're still going to get, I think it's the fifth overall pick. It's just uh, not the one that they were expecting. They end up 9-8, and eight, first round date with the Niners. I didn't see a way that Seattle could win this game, and I was... Uh, I thought I might have to come in here today and eat a little crow after that first half. Seattle leading 17-16 to 16 at the half. But then Brock Purdy, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, they just put on the afterburners. Uh, and Seattle couldn't answer. I mean, Geno Smith did not have a poor game. He made some mistakes. He, he threw a pick, you know. Uh, he was able to find DK Metcalf. DK had an amazing game. 10 catches, 136 yards, a couple of touchdowns. They had that 50-yard uh, strike earlier in the game. Kenneth Walker was all right, you know, 15 carries, 63 yards. He did have a touchdown. But look, the 49ers defense buckled down when it needed to. It was it was a complete shift from half one to half two. Brock Purdy got settled in. He he did not look great at the start of this game. He I saw he underthrew a couple guys. He overthrew a couple guys. He intentionally sent a couple out of bounds when he thought there wasn't a play available when maybe he had a man. Well, 
At the end of the day, 18 to 30, 332 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Mr. Irrelevant continues to become more and more relevant. Of course, Christian McCaffrey had 119 yards on the ground, another 17 uh, in the passing game. Debo Samuel, six catches, 133 yards, including that 74-yard bomb. 49ers, Steven, just too good. Yeah, and Brock Purdy, 16 yards rushing with the touchdown, but he also had a couple other plays where he just ran around you know, in the backfield and made a play and found McCaffrey for a touchdown pass, found Mitchell for a touchdown pass. And I, I've been doubting Brock Purdy the whole time, and maybe I'm, I need to stop. Like, he, he might just be good. Like, he might just be a yeah. good quarterback, and I might just not be seeing it. But, you know, you were right. He was erratic in the first half. Um, he was throwing the ball down the field, which I did like. I think Kyle Shanahan really wanted him to feel comfortable and just throw the ball down the field and have a lot of confidence at the start of the game. And he did a really good job of doing that. But, man, that, yeah, you're right. The 49ers defense, they buckled down in the second half. I want to know from you, do you think the Seahawks showed a little something that maybe could make the 49ers defense a little vulnerable going forward? Because you know they did score 17 all in that second quarter, but it was DK Metcalf deep a couple times. Yeah. Um, even that running game, like you said, it wasn't super good, but you know they had over 100 yards, over four yards of carry. Like It was better than expected. Um, do you think going forward in the next couple rounds, are the 49ers vulnerable on the defensive side at all? Because they are the best defense in the NFL. But did the CX show a little something to other teams so they could beat them? Possibly. I mean, I think maybe there was just a little bit of the, you know, you get the playoff jitters a little bit because they really buckled down. But you're right. I mean, DK Metcalf going deep. I mean, even Cade Johnson had a relatively, uh, you know, long catch as well. It's possible, but I just don't know. I mean, DK is a special wide receiver. I just don't know that they're going to see another guy like that in the playoffs. But I think if you're going to do something against the number one defense in the NFL, that's the way you have to do it. You know, you got to just outrace the defensive back down the sideline. I mean, maybe you can, you know, do a deep post or give a little stagger move and try to catch one of the safeties leaning. But I just I look at this defense I kind of give the Niners a pass in the first half. And really, again, it, it's just the second quarter. It was yeah. three quarters, they allow six points. And then Seattle just sort of exploded uh, in the back half of that second quarter, especially. They got a score pretty late in that quarter. I, I mean, I, I got to say, I, I know Philly's the quote-unquote best team in the NFL. I, the Niners looked good to me, man. Yeah, and it was the mistake by Jimmy Ward at the end of the half to give the uh, Seahawks a long field goal try, and they connected on that. You know, if you don't make that mistake, you're winning going into into halftime and getting the ball. Like I'm with you. I, I don't think that they necessarily showed anything. I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass first round of the playoffs, a little jittery maybe. Uh, but I will say, you know, we talked about Jamar Chase being just an unbelievable receiver. Is Debo Samuel? Is he the, just the best overall player in all of football? Like that dude is amazing. He can do everything. Over 30 yards rushing, over 130 receiving. Like he might be the best threat in the NFL. And he has Christian McCaffrey as well on his team. Like. The offense has a lot of weapons, and I think Brock Purdy has to be thanking his lucky stars. Like, I got drafted to this situation with the best defense, with maybe the best running back, with maybe the best playmaker in Debo and all of football. And we haven't even mentioned George Kittle's name once. Yeah, we haven't mentioned George Kittle, who's one of the all-time great tight ends in the NFL history. Like, he's in a great spot, but I, man, Debo, I love Debo Samuel. I think he, I think he might be just the best pure football player in all of football, man. That guy is awesome. He He's great. And again, adding McCaffrey, you don't have to quote unquote, have to run Samuel as much. He can uh, maybe not get banged up as much. Niners are dangerous. Last game. 
uh, of the uh, weekend before the break here. Uh, the Bills beat the Dolphins 34-31. I did not expect it to be this close, especially, I mean, Skylar Thompson was horrible. He was terrible. And that's not a big surprise, right? I mean, it's your third stringer. No Tua, no Teddy Bridgewater. In an emergency, if Skylar Thompson gets hurt, Bridgewater's going to try to give it a go. It's a testament to Miami that you lost by three points when your quarterback goes 18 of 45. Uh, he, he did have a touchdown pass through two picks. Your leading rusher was Jeff Wilson, who had 23 yards, and somehow... This game is close. Now, you picked off Josh Allen twice. Both of those were bobbles that Miami ended up grabbing. I mean, they weren't great throws, but they were sort of 50-50 balls that uh, that Miami won. But, I mean, you look at this. Uh, Stephon Diggs, 114 yards. Gabe Davis, 113 yards. Uh, on and on, Cole Beasley only had 35. But, look, the wealth was spread. He had 352 yards passing on the day did Allen and somehow Miami forcing the turnovers and getting some key stops kept this to a a three-point game they scored that fourth quarter touchdown they were driving again they had a chance possibly to get in field goal range they just couldn't get it done yeah I mean this game was a lot closer than I thought it was um, but it still seemed like the Bills were in control the entire time which was the weird thing like you said the Dolphins just they didn't have any offense um, you know, I, I had I was hosting bet the game on on um, on the weekend, and I even said like I like the Dolphins plus the points, but it's just because it's a lot of points. And I had a couple couple takeaways though. Uh, one was that Mike McDaniel on the bench. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was vaping on the bench there. Did you see that video? That he's vaping over on the bench. I thought that was pretty funny. That was my number number one takeaway. But um, number two, like on the field, I think if you're the Bill, if you're a Bills fan, like you have to be a little concerned. And I've said I think the Bills are the best team in the NFL. But Josh Allen is very uh, not – he's not keeping you know track of the ball, whether he's for, whether he's fumbling or throwing interceptions. He's not taking care of the football. You know, threw two picks, lost a fumble that turned into a touchdown. I think that could be problemsome going uh, going forward. But I think the Bills are the most talented team. But as, if, if Josh Allen keeps turning the ball over, they're going to be in some real trouble this year because the AFC is stacked. You know, they're taking on the Bengals next week. And if they win that, then they're taking on the Chiefs probably or the Jaguars like – he needs to take care of the football if they want to advance to the Super Bowl and win it. But uh, again, I thought I thought the Bills were in control the entire game, but the Dolphins somehow just just stayed around. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting to see. I mean, you know, we talked about the Dolphins being the team that's quote unquote just happy to be there. The Seahawks being the other team, and he. Each of those groups, at least for a little while, made it interesting. Of course, at the end of the day, the favored teams win. All right, we'll go away, come back. We've got an NBA-related big splash on the other side. In just about 10 minutes, Sean Hyken from the Rose Garden Report going to stop by, talk some trailblazers. Portland had a fantastic weekend, a back-to-back against Dallas. They, uh... They contain Luka Doncic like I don't know that I've seen another team do this year. The bench is getting healthy. The turnovers are down. I want to see, is it real? What does he expect? What did he see? But one more segment to go in our number one. I'm Peter Sampson. This is the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson in for Kazano. It's the bald face truth. Talked a lot of NFL with good reason. Of course, tonight, 
Tom Brady and Tampa Bay taking on the Dallas Cowboys. I think that's going to be a great game. Look, I'm no Tom Brady fan, but I, uh, I've i come around on the greatness. I'm not betting against him until he gives me reason to. Has he given reason this season? Maybe. But I need to see it in the playoffs. But our big splash does not come from the NFL. comes from the NBA. Let's do it. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, LeBron James has become the second NBA player in history to pass 38,000 career points. Did it with the mid-range jumper in the first quarter yesterday. Went on to score 35 in the Lakers' loss to the 76ers, 113-112. Another close loss. Another loss with a uh, questionable no-call. Lakers not getting calls right now. You saw it against uh, Dallas when Troy Brown Jr. clearly got hit on a three-point attempt at the end of the game. Uh, the two-minute report had, I believe, seven missed calls. Uh Joel Embiid made contact with Russell Westbrook as he lost the ball out of bounds. To me, it didn't look like a foul, but there was definitely contact. But in the meantime, LeBron James, now only 363 points away from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time record, uh, barring a very, very uh, near-future injury, he's going to break that shortly. Um I mean, if he's putting up, say, 28 points a game there, I mean, you're only talking, what, about 15 games or so, maybe 17. And uh, LeBron James, it's interesting. He's the youngest player to reach 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, all the way up to 38,000 points. So congrats to LeBron. I'm glad the Lakers are losing, honestly. But... and, of course, he was on social media today complaining about calls, as he is often wont to do. But there's no doubting his legacy, the greatness, the consistency. And now, again, less than 500 points away from passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record. Coming up in just about two minutes, let's talk some trailblazers, shall we? They swept the Mavs in a home back-to-back this weekend. Uh, It's always good when you can blow out a team ahead of you in the standings twice. And the Blazers did that. Turnovers, bench getting healthy, connectivity. What's the key to it? We're going to talk to Sean Hyken from Rose Garden Report, one of the uh, best writers covering the Trail Blazers currently. I'm going to go ahead and say it, the best, actually my favorite writer covering the trailblazers at the moment he joins us in just about two minutes right after this very quick break this is the bald face truth on the bft radio network leave it right here b f f t from the pack west center in downtown portland presented by high caliber millwrights in for john canzano here's peter sampson with the bald face truth Welcome back in hour number two of the program. I am Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. Hope you're having a great holiday wherever you're listening to this program. Great weekend for the Trailblazers. And if you're like me, you saw that Nasir Little was going to make his return yesterday. And if you're like me, you found out that news from Sean Hikins, uh Locker room conversation 
with Nas talking about the uh, the rehab, the recovery, the work, the timeline. It was a fantastic read. It got me primed, not just to be excited for Little's return to the court, but specifically talking about the conditioning. How's this guy going to look? Is he going to have the energy? What kind of minutes restriction is it going to be? Nas honestly looked like he hasn't missed a beat. Blazers, after a very rough stretch of games, won two against the Dallas Mavericks. I said it before, I'll say it again. Anytime you can beat a team ahead of you in the standings twice, you've had a great weekend. Here to talk about it from the Rose Garden Report, Sean Hyken joins us now. Sean, the Blazers look fantastic this weekend. Now, it helps if you get a couple big bench pieces back and uh, maybe cut your turnovers by 10 per game, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you, it's pretty hard to say that they didn't have about as good of a weekend as they could have. And I know, I mean, you can say, well, you know, one of their two wins uh, against the Mavericks was with Luka Doncic sitting out because he's been sitting out on back-to-backs. But at this point, when you're in Portland and you had the five-game losing streak and you had kind of fallen even out of the play in as tight as the margins are, you just need to take any win that you can get. And honestly, like, they've, they've had – they've been on the other end of that type of game. They lost to the Clippers earlier this season when the Clippers didn't have Paul George or Kawhi Leonard playing. So you can't really take any of these for granted. But even just besides that part of it, uh, they – like you were saying, they cut down on their turnovers. Both of these games, they had single-digit turnovers. Uh, and I think maybe they got to 9 or 10 by the time of garbage time. But by the time that Chauncey Bill pulled the starters, it was about five minutes, four or five minutes to go each way, they – only had six or seven. I think they had seven in the first game, six in the second game. So, you know, that since that's been the biggest thing that's been plaguing them all season, you know, it would I would say it would be encouraging to see that that got cut down significantly. And then also, yeah, this year Little, he looked about as good as somebody who hasn't played in six weeks can look. He was on a 15-minute or so restriction. I think I had heard it was 15. He ended up playing 16. So, you know, so, somewhere in that range. But, he looked comfortable. He looked confident. He knocked down some rhythm shots. He played good defense. He did about what you would expect him to do. And just getting healthier between that and now, you know, Gary Payton the second is kind of back in the mix more consistently now. And it's really just Justice Winslow that they're waiting on. So even just getting a couple of pieces back for the bench is going to make it so that, A, Chauncey Billups doesn't have to rely on the starters to play so many minutes. Damian Lillard only played 29 minutes first game which is huge considering the amount of responsibility that he's had lately and then you're also you know they they've been because of all the injuries that they've had they've been relying on so many you know two rookies two second year guys with Trendon Watford and Keon Johnson had to play a bunch of minutes and being able to just kind of have more you know proven NBA players even in the rotation is huge yeah, it's it's been really tough with that bench unit. I think they had like three against Toronto. You know, they had nine the other day. It, and, and I mean, you look at the, the healthy available players there, and you can only get what you can get. So let's talk about Nas and GP2 coming back. We'll hold off on Justice until he returns, maybe next conversation. Gary Payton the second man, you, you, you know what you're going to get with him, but it's still uh, very impressive to watch. And I'm not even talking about, say, four steals in four minutes in the first half, but it's almost like just that energy is, is a little bit contagious. It's like the other four guys on the court kind of pick up their defense and it might only be you know five seven percent but there just seems to be a noticeable lift doesn't it oh yeah and it's something that they've talked about Chauncey Billups has talked about I think he said this after their his first game of the season against Detroit that when he goes out there 
if, if the other four guys on the floor aren't matching the kind of energy that he's playing with and that kind of effort defensively, then it's like, you, you know, you look bad if you're not playing with the same intensity that he plays with. And I think guys respond to that. And honestly, even besides what he's been doing on the court, which, you know, what he's been able to do, I mean, I, I think, it, I think his minutes restriction is pretty much gone at this point, but he's pretty much fully reintegrated back into the rotation. But what he's been doing on the court is exactly what they signed him to do and exactly what he did last year with Golden State. But something that Chauncey Billups actually kind of pointed out yesterday before the game is that even before he was activated and before he started playing, he was really, you know, on the bench pulling guys aside, as particularly the young guys, Shaden Sharp was somebody that he pointed out as somebody that had learned a lot from Gary Payton, where like he was still like because he's such a smart player, especially defensively, which is not that surprising given who his dad is, like he would be pulling the younger guys aside and just basically directing them like, hey, go here, go here, think about this, you know, use this angle to set a screen, that, that sort of stuff. So, yeah, his impact is huge. Not just that, but when's the last time the Blazers had a trash talker this good? I saw him, John, with the Dallas bench a, a lot. Yeah, you know, it's good nature and he's being an irritant, but it's been a minute since the Blazers, Blazers have had someone that could talk junk. Mario Hazonia, Zach Collins, those are the two that come to mind immediately <laughs> for me. And I would say Gary Payton is a better basketball player than either of those two. I would agree with that. Uh, of course, Nasir Little played his 16 minutes. Three of five from three, 10 points, a couple block shots, one on the interior, and a tipped three-pointer. Can't ask for more. Blazers, I mean, to me, it's it's not just the energy. They just needed a guy that can score the ball three for five in his first game in six weeks. You can't ask for more than that. No, and especially because he was, even before the injury, he was kind of inconsistent as a score. He was a guy, you know, the profile of him is, you know, he's a defense and energy and rebounding type of guy and whatever. And I mean, he, he can shoot and he's gotten a lot better as a shooter over the years, but He's kind of a guy, sort of like Gary Payton, where like whatever you get from him offensively is a bonus. So he's actually comfortable and confident in his shot. And, you know, you, he was telling us after the game that as soon as he checked in, Damian Lillard came up to him and was like, look, I'm going to get you a shot. I'm gonna, and then he just, like, the next possession found him an open corner three, knocked it down, and started shooting more of them. And so, yeah, I mean, you, you have another guy that you can at least, you know, get an open three for, and he's either going to, you know, he's going to shoot it, and there's a decent chance he's going to knock it down. It's it's, just, it's a huge thing to have that they haven't really had in the last six weeks. Sean Hyken, Rose Garden Report, and of course, before the game, I uh, I received your uh, your piece talking with Nasir Little. He, I mean. He didn't look winded again, 16 minutes, but sometimes you can tell it takes guys a couple games to get fully into game shape. And I mean, it sounds like he was on a pretty rigorous uh, rehab schedule. Can you detail that a little bit? Well, he was, and they basically, you, you know, when they, when they said, you, and th this is kind of like press release language semantics, right. maybe a little bit inside baseball, but I think this is something a lot of people don't really know about. Usually when you see an injury report, it says, a guy, or, you know, when a player has a long-term injury and the team sends out an update about it, they say, you know, like, for example, this Justice Winslow uh, ankle injury that's, that he's still out with. They said, you know, initially he's going to be reevaluated in two weeks. That doesn't mean he's going to be back in two weeks. That means he's going to be reevaluated in two weeks and they'll see where he's at. With this Nasir Little one, when they send it out, it said he'll be out for six weeks. And from what I was told, that was basically like the whole, you know, him having to, you know, stay off the hip for a couple of weeks to make sure the fracture didn't grow bigger. And then he could slowly start to ramp up like 
physical therapy and that kind of stuff. And then a couple weeks of on-court work, assuming the MRI came back clean. That was all baked into the six weeks. And the idea was that with the six weeks over, then he would, it wasn't just, oh, now he's, you know, able to be reevaluated and we'll see where he's at. The idea was that six weeks is when he'll actually be able to play. And he hit that almost exactly from six weeks before the injury or, or, you know, or, you know, six weeks from the injury was when he was able to come back. And so, you know, from, from everything we know, again, you, you need a little bit of luck in this stuff in terms of, especially with like a hip fracture, you don't want that to be made worse, but you know, he followed everything that the training staff laid out for him and everything healed as expected. And so he was able to come back in six weeks. So looking at the, you know, they're finally getting healthy. And I think through their their slump, you can't discount you know, the health issue on the bench. I do think, you know, obviously 10 and four beating some good teams. They were kind of overachieving and there's probably some underachievement, you know, over the last month or so. As we get maybe toward a, a baseline, are the Blazers buyers or sellers at the deadline? I think they would like to be buyers. It's just a matter of what's available and what stuff costs. I will say I have heard really not too much as far as concrete. Like this is a guy they're going after or this is who they're shopping on the roster because right now just, you know, we're a little over three weeks out from the deadline and everybody's asking price right now is outrageous. And I think that what happened this summer with, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and DeJounte Murray getting what they got on the trade market is just throwing the entire market totally out of whack. Like I saw a report a couple days ago that Detroit is open to trading Alec Burks, but they're looking for a, I mean, Alec Burks is a fine player. He's a good rotation player and he would help the Portland and certainly a lot of other teams, but he's a guy that's coming off the bench right now for one of the worst teams in the NBA. And I saw a report that, like, Detroit would only consider moving him if they could get back an unprotected first-round pick and a productive young player. And it's like, okay, that's just where the market is at right now. And if the market stays there, then probably not much of anything is going to get done. But I would say that if there's any real trades happening, whether it be with Portland or anybody else, it's not going to be until a few days before the deadline because right now, since they're a few weeks out, GMs might as well just ask for the world for any of their guys that they might even be open to moving, even if it's somebody that everybody knows they're actively shopping. You might as well ask just in case somebody gives it to you. But, you know, as it gets closer to the deadline, I think the prices are going to come down on some of these guys that Portland and, you know, other teams are looking at. I will say as far as what they might do at the deadline, like I said, I haven't really heard a lot of specific names or, you know, it's it's tough at this point this, this far out to get a real read on who's available, but, If I had to guess on the magnitude of a move that Portland is going to make, I would say that anything that's, like, really needle-moving, like, you know, just a couple guys that have been rumored, you know, like an OG and a Dobie or DeAndre Ayton or anybody in that realm, I would guess that if that something like that were to happen, it would be more likely to happen this summer than it would in the next three weeks. I think think Portland will do something. I don't think they will make zero trades, but I think if they do anything, it's going to be like, Moving around a few bench guys, you know, maybe you you trade like a, you know, I, 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 the Josh Hart thing is he's kind of an interesting thing to ponder, but like maybe him, maybe like Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, bring in a couple of other guys in kind of those spots. It'll be something more along those lines than like a big swing of like trading, you know, multiple starters and first round picks for OG Ananobi. I don't see anything like that happening at the deadline. That's not to say that something of that magnitude couldn't happen down the line, but I think in the next three weeks, it's going to be more kind of, you know, 
secondary, you know, incremental stuff. Th- that's sort of where I land as well. I mean, I mean, Yusuf Nurkic, I could see him being moved. I could see him not being moved. He certainly played well of late. But he, Josh Hart with the contract situation uh, coinciding with Jeremy Grant needing to uh, to get his contract. I could see them, you know, Josh Hart is a guy, and he's been sort of frustrating offensively, you know, but we know what he brings to the table. But you look at all the other teams, contending teams, teams that maybe are even looking to rebuild, like everyone can kind of use a Josh Hart, whether he's a starter, whether he's your – you know, your eighth man, everyone can use that guy. But I think it might be, you know, whether it's a pick, whether it's, you know, two reserves, and then you kind of hold off uh, for a big move this summer. I think a lot of it might depend on, and tell me if I'm crazy here, uh, I think they're kind of waiting on uh, Shaden Sharp to see what they've got. Not that I'm expecting him to blossom into a star this year or anything like that, but I think they're looking for a little more consistency and seeing uh, if they can uh, maybe dangle Simons this summer. Am I nuts? I I don't think that's impossible. I would not be I would not go into the summer expecting okay. that to be what happens. I I mean it's not it's not a situation where you know the last GM was completely wedded to CJ McCall and it was never even like a discussion that they would trade him. I don't think that front office is as, as attached to assignment as that, but I do not think that they signed into that contract looking to move him. I think they they believe that they're going to be able to be more successful building around Dame and another small scoring guard than maybe uh, they were. The previous regime was able to with Dame and CJ. With CJ making significantly more money than Simon did right now. I mean, I, I I don't want to say anything is impossible because I think the only truly untouchable guy on the roster is Dame, and anybody else being untouchable, I think, is a little bit of a stretch. But I would be very surprised if Simon got moved anytime in the next year. Sean Hyken, Rose Garden Report, for just another couple minutes. Obviously, MLK Day, it's NBA Day, a lot of national games all day long. Just looking around the league, I mean, the MVP race this year is pretty interesting. Obviously, Luka, one of the front runners. Blazers, man, doubling him. It can kill you. It's Actually, before I get there, let's talk about that. Portland's defense on Luka Doncic, you double him almost exclusively, and... Reggie Bullock, what did he have? Eight threes. You nine times out of ten, you lose that game. You say let another guy beat us, and they did. But talk about that defense that they played on Luca. Well, that's something that Dame talked about after the game. Is that if uh, you know, you know, the, the, the first two games, the two games that they played in Dallas, you know, one game Luca had like a forty-two point triple double, and the other one he had thirty-three and hit five three-pointers. I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, but it was something like that. Dane basically said, okay, if they beat us again, we're not going to, it's not going to be because Luca went off again. And so they stuck two on him. You, you know, you saw uh, Gary Payton the second when they had him in, he was kind of getting in Luca's grill, you know, the way that he does and kind of, they, I, I, and, you know, kind of forcing him to pass it out to guys. And like you said, Reggie Bullock kind of made them pay. Even like Davis Bertrand did a couple of three pointers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like they, like their other guys did step up. I think the thing that the, the way that Portland was able to, you know, overcome that is the thing we were talking about earlier, which is that unlike, let's say, the Cleveland game or, you know, any of the games, you know, the Orlando game, any of the games before that, they took care of the ball. They didn't give them any free points just with turnovers. Like, where the, you know, that has been an issue, you know, not just in those games, but also on that road trip where they went 0-3 in uh, Minnesota, Toronto, and Indy. Like, that was, like, one of the primary issues, and that they were able to clean a lot of that stuff up, too. And, you know, between that and, you know, neutralizing Luca a little bit. That's how they were able to get that first win. 
Is Luka your MVP so far this season? I mean, there's him, there's Jokic, a lot of a lot of great candidates. If you're given a, a first half award, who are you giving it to? I mean, it's pretty hard not to give it to Nikola Jokic at this point, just because not only you know the the, the argument for him last year was. Look what he's doing without all, without any help, basically at all, with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter out, and it's like, okay, now, you know, they have those guys back, and he's still putting up pretty much the exact same numbers. And Denver has the uh, best record in the uh, Western Conference right now. I got to be honest, though, I don't have a vote for the awards. I've never had a vote for the awards. I've never particularly wanted a vote for these sure. awards. I kind of let that be somebody else's problem because then just try to stay out of the discourse. But I think I would probably lean towards Jokic or Giannis at this point. But it's, it's, it's someone else's problem. It's not mine. <laughs> there you go. I agree. Jokic, he's been unbelievable. And uh, as of a couple days ago, I haven't checked, uh, you know, since the weekend, but he was shooting like 61% this year too. It's It's been unbelievable what he's doing. Yeah, Jokic is unreal. It's, it's you know, and then the Blazers, by the way, Blazers have them tomorrow yeah. in Denver. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one for them. So last year, the obvious answer was uh, Cleveland. I want to know, man, who is your league pass team this year? A team that maybe doesn't get a lot of national shine, but it's just fun to watch most nights. We just saw them here in Portland a few nights ago, Orlando. <laughs> Paolo Banchero is awesome. He's clearly the rookie of the year. You know, you look at what Franz Wagner is doing in his second year, and also you know a little Oregon connection, Bull Bull. Like the season that he's been able to put together when it looked like he was one of those, you know, league pass favorite because he's so physically talented, but is just never putting it together. He's finally starting to do that this year, and they're going to get another lottery pick this year because I don't think they're going to get playoff teams. So I would say that's kind of my under the radar pick. Yeah, that's my answer too. And man, I, I don't know what he's going to look like, but supposedly after what, like two years, Jonathan Isaac coming back. I mean, they might have to do some consolidation, but the sheer amount of young talent, when, when teams have a ton of talent, fun talent, even if they're not winning games, man, it, it's a blast. And I'll be, I'll be honest, I, I'm a little bit surprised at how good Paolo Banchero has been. I, I thought he'd be solid and he was just a guy that struck me as, yeah, he's going to give you 15 and eight every night, but he doesn't have that superstar potential. Yeah. Wrong. I mean, he is just unbelievable. Yeah, he is. I'll believe it when I see it with Jonathan Isaac, if, if yeah. he actually is able to come back and stay healthy, you know, you have to keep in mind the guy hasn't played for literally almost three calendar years. Uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll believe that one when I see it, but yeah, a lot of interesting pieces in uh, Orlando, another one too. Uh, and we just saw him, the other night and he I think did a good job defensively on Dame Markel Fultz you know considering everything that he's gone through in his career to see him even just being a productive NBA rotation player now at this point at you know at, at this point in his career it was pretty nice to see too Sean Hyken I appreciate you man yeah I was good to talk to you Peter all right have a good one that's Sean Hyken go subscribe to the Rose Garden Report he does the best work on the Trailblazers in the market, in my opinion. I look forward to reading his columns nightly after the Blazers game. And you can get a free subscription. You get a couple bonus things with the uh, very affordable paid subscription. That's what I do. A little bit of the in-arena report, which I always love. And then when you get some deep dives on maybe some big Blazers news, you're going to want to be subscribed to the Rose Garden Report. Also follow him on Twitter at Hiking. All right, we'll go away, come back on the other side. I want to talk a little bit more Blazers, uh, just react to a couple things that Hyken had there. I am Peter Sampson. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. 
You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson in for JC. I want to thank Sean Hyken from Rose Garden Report. Great stuff on the Trailblazers. Make sure you read him. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Hyken. I loved his tweet. I knew what he was going to say when I asked about GP2 being the best trash talker the Blazers have had in a while because he tweeted his answer. He said it's the best one with since Mario Hazonia, with the exception that Gary Payton II is a good basketball player. And that's true. Mario Hazonia. I don't need to rehash it. But Hazonia was uh, not a uh, good NBA basketball player and was really confounding because as you evaluate players, you go, okay, how are their handles? What's their jump shooting form? Do they crash the boards? Do they have decent, you know, side to side lateral movement? Do they get up in guy? Mario Hazonia checked every individual box and yet somehow was a terrible player. Always good to remember Mario Hazonia. He did say, Man, inflation, it's not just impacting gas, used car prices, and and uh, a carton of a dozen eggs. Apparently, it's hitting the NBA trade market as well. <laughs> An unprotected pick and a talented young player for Alec Burks. That's peak insanity to me. I mean, Burks is a fine player. He's fine. He, he can help a lot of teams. He could help Portland. He is not worth an unprotected pick and a first. And I blame Minnesota for all this. I understand why Cleveland gave up what they gave for Donovan Mitchell. But Minnesota giving up, what was it, three good young players, four, and all the uh, the lottery picks for Rudy Gobert really jacked it up for everybody. I think what you're going to see is a real lull as you approach the trade deadline. And then a flurry of moves on the last day. It takes some, you just got to break the seal. All it does is take one cell that's at a reasonable cost, and then everyone's going to start making moves. But if, if teams think they're going to be able to hold out and get a lottery pick and, or I should say a potential lottery pick and a talented young player for Alec Burks, nothing's getting done in a couple weeks. Nothing. Steven, I think we're going to see a flurry of moves, but it's going to take a while if that's the asking price right now. Yeah, I mean, Alec Burks having a nice year, yeah. uh, maybe even a career year. Almost 14 points a game, shooting 46.5%, 45 from three, which has always been the thing about him. He's never been a great shooter, shooting the ball really well this year. Um, I think he's like a perfect bench guy, but a bench guy for unprotected first round, yeah, I think it's a little too much. And I'm with you. I blame Utah for starting this whole trend. I do, I do agree with both of you guys that as it gets closer to the trade deadline and people hold out, the prices will go down because when you're if you're a bad team like Detroit or you know even Orlando like you guys were talking about, they're a fun team to watch, but they're not still very good. You talk about um, some of the teams in the Western Conference as well that are at the bottom. you, you got to sell at some point. You can't just hold on to these guys and get nothing for them, whether it's a second-round pick, whether it's a protected first-round pick. you got to make trades, and we saw that important last year where you, know, they, you can't hold on to guys. They had to trade Robert Covington, Norman Powell. You just can't go into the next season. So at some point, they're going to have to give in, and those prices will go down. But right now, it seems like there's not really going to be many trades You know, for a couple weeks. And, and it's a little sad because that's always you know one of the most fun parts about the NBA is just the trade trade deadline, trade block, those type of things. And as a Blazer fan, Peter, like 
you got to start looking at who's going to be out there, what teams are bad, what teams are available. And the problem with Portland is, is they're so close to the hard cap that they can't really acquire a lot of contracts. So if right. you're going to get a guy, even like Alex Burks, right? Like we talked about him and how good he's been and how much of a price he's going to cost. He's still making, um, you know, I believe like $12 million, $10 million this season. So like, in order to get him, you're going to have to trade a guy like Josh Hart just to bring Alec Burks back, and that's not a good trade, right? Like, Josh Hart is better than Alec Burks. So for Portland, it's going to be one of those lesser guys, Keon Johnson, Justice Winslow, and you're going to get a lesser guy back to help the team. But uh, it's still it's still fun to look at. But, yeah, the prices are insane right That's now. what I'm thinking. Though I do maintain Josh Hart is going to be traded before the trade deadline, and it has nothing to do with his play on the court. It has nothing to do with vibes in the locker room. I love watching Josh Hart, even when he's passing up three-pointers. To be fair, he shot six of them last night. Maybe, uh, maybe he should pass them up because uh, he made, <laughs> what, one? Yeah, he made his first one and then passed up. He passed one up, and the crowd groaned, and he kind of laughed. Like, he's he, he gets it. He knows what people are saying. I don't want to see him go. It's just a reality of the, the salary cap and needing to re-sign Grant, Damon makes his money Ant makes his money nurk makes his money and uh like i mentioned grant's about to get his extension you just don't have the money to pay this guy uh i wouldn't be surprised to see him move for again maybe a lesser bench piece or even uh if you can get a low end first round pick of course if if asking prices are insane you maybe can get a little bit more than that but i think ultimately you are going to see something like that maybe a bench piece that fits a little bit better of course the question is who do you roll out there do you start nasir little now that he's healthy i think maybe that's the choice if he continues to play well but it is going to be an interesting deadline even if it takes us right up until the day of or the night before before we start getting some action all right i'll take your thoughts on that 503-417-7575 what should the blazers do at the deadline we'll go away come back on the other side more great sports talk i'm peter sampson in for john canzano this is the bald face truth on the bft radio network Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. I'm Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the bald face truth on the BFT radio network. So there's still one game to go in the wild card round, but the NFL has released next week's playoff schedule for the divisional round. Paris Saturday games here. Paris Sunday games. We'll uh, take a look at these. So your first game on Saturday, Jaguars at Chiefs. I believe that's going to be at uh, one thirty. That's on NBC. Giants at Eagles on Fox. And then you move to Sunday. You've got Bengals at Bills. That's noon on CBS. And then you have Buccaneers or Cowboys at 49ers that's 3:30 on box and of course the bucks and cowboys play later tonight on monday night football if you're listening in portland we'll have that for you immediately after the conclusion of this show right around 5:15 steven vaughn out of the games i just mentioned which one's the most exciting matchup to you it's got to be the bills and the Bengals. to me it's the bills and Bengals. i think both of these teams have legitimate Super Bowl aspirations where I look at the Chiefs and the Jaguars 
as much as I want the Jaguars to win, and I think that they might actually have a chance to win, I think they're live to win this game. I don't think they have a chance to win the Super Bowl. I think they would run into the Bills or the Bengals the next week and lose. Um, and then you look at the other side. Same with the Giants-Eagles. Like I don't think the Giants have a legitimate chance to get to the Super Bowl. Um, but it's, so it's got to be it's got to be Bengals Bills. I will say though, if it's 49ers Cowboys, uh, that would be number one for me. So I, I need to wait till after tonight. But um, on the three on the board, I'm going to take the Bills and the Bengals. I think Joe Burrow, like we said earlier, he's just so good, and I want to see what type of attitude the Bengals have coming into that game in Buffalo where they feel like they're against the world and everyone's out to get them. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, one. that one really feels like a big game. I mean, obviously you have the Bengals coming off the Super Bowl. The Bills <laughs> uh, were right there knocking on the door. It's going to be an awesome rematch here. Now, Giants-Eagles is really intriguing to me for reasons we already talked about early in the show. Daniel Jones. Now, I'm not going to say I trust Daniel Jones because I don't. But if Daniel Jones gives you the kind of performance he gave you this weekend, the Giants really do have a shot in this game, especially if Jalen Hurts is still a little banged up. I guess he's dealing with significant pain in the shoulder. We'll see if that actually affects his ability to throw the ball. Hurts can get on the move. Daniel Jones can get on the move. Eagles defense, pretty solid. It, it, but the Giants have Saquon Barkley. Uh, so while I do agree, Cincy at Buffalo is probably the premier game here. Giants-Eagles sticks out to me. Yeah, you've been on the Giants uh, bandwagon the last few weeks, I feel like. And you know, you're right, Daniel Jones, if he plays like he did against the Vikings, they have a legitimate chance to win. And I think that you know that's just an understatement. Like He played really well and... It's cool to see Isaiah Hodgins out there for Beeb getting a chance and really taking advantage of his situation. He's really turned into the number one receiver on that Giants team. And then Saquon looks like he did, you know, back when they drafted him with the second pick overall. Still a weird pick to draft a running back second overall, but you know, paying off right now, I guess. But I really like what Isaiah Hodgins has done to Daniel Jones. And we saw that when he was at Oregon State, like big tall receiver, and you can just kind of throw it up to him. He gets the catch, makes a play, and he's got, you know, very sneaky speed for how big he is. I, I love to see that, you know, the former, uh, you know, local guys go down to the NFL and, you know, get bounced around. I think the Bills could actually use Isaiah Hodgins right now. Mm. He got released by the Bills, and they're, you know, they're relying on Cole Beasley and guys like that. Like, they could use Hodgins, but Hodgins has been just a really good security blanket for uh, Daniel Jones, and I think Jones is really taking advantage of it. Yeah, you mentioned Saquon Barkley, man. Ugh, the health. I don't play fantasy anymore, but... uh Win the number one overall pick a couple years ago. Take Saquon. He gets hurt. My team is a disaster. I I win the number one overall pick next year. Saquon is back. He gets hurt again. And uh, frankly, that's enough for me. I'm done playing fantasy. He was a killer because, look, when you're talking fantasy, if he's healthy, he's such an all-purpose back. He's a points machine. But, oh, it was just brutal. I would have a decent squad around him, but all of a sudden your number one guy, you know, is supposed to generate points is just out for the year or say misses. I think he missed, you know, 10 games the year before that. Just killed me, man. And he's a beast. Like, he is just humongous, and he's faster than everybody. And it's nice to see him healthy once again because, you know, I devalue running backs. I think running backs are one of those positions where you don't need to spend a lot. Like, I know the Niners went out and got Christian McCaffrey. I questioned, like, how much they gave up to get him. But when you really have one of those truly elite backs, they do prove how much they can help. And I think Saquon, when healthy, he is that guy. He, he's an elite back that can catch out of the backfield and can run through the tackles. So, I mean, the Giants, they are dangerous. And maybe I should take him more seriously. I just I can't see the New York Giants getting to the Super Bowl 
running through you know the Vikings and then the Eagles and then probably the 49ers. I think it's a tough road, but I think they you know they can uh, compete against this Philadelphia Eagles team where we don't know Jalen Hurts if he's 100% healthy or not. I think that'll be really important. Yeah, and if they do beat Philly, I agree. I think that's probably the end of the road. Yeah, McCaffrey to the 49ers. Look, you, you got to give a lot to get a lot, especially because the Rams were right there on the two-yard line getting him before San Francisco sort of swooped in and grabbed him. But look, I mean, it's no accident that acquiring him lines up perfectly from when they became they went from good to great as soon as they grabbed him. And, you know, it's a team that already had weapons, but you're in a situation where you have an elite defense, elite. And then on top of that, oh, Debo Samuel's having an off night. Well, we'll just go to George Kittle. Oh, they're having an off night or quarterback can't, you know, he can't find anyone. We'll just let McCaffrey pound it a few, you know, a few dozen times and then we'll find him out of the backfield five, six times. They can beat you in a myriad of ways. They really can. Or everyone can be struggling and their defense will just smother you. I, It's way too early. I, just, I really think I might like San Francisco out of the NFC, man. Yeah. Is there a game like, uh, you know, this last week we were trying to figure out who the upset was going to be. You guys both like the Giants. I like the Jags. Both of them hit, by the way. Yeah. I don't know if everyone noticed that. Uh, John and Peter, you guys like the Giants. I like the Jags. They both win. Could have made some good money off that. But is there, is there an upset you're looking at this week early on, you know, without digging too much into the matchups? Um, that you're liking right now on the board, or is it kind of chalky? Because usually it seems like the divisional rounds very chalky in the NFL. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't really know yet. I'm still digging in, but is there anything just jumping off the board right now? <sighs> I think it's going chalk, but if you force me to pick one, it is Giants at Eagles. Yeah. But but I don't like it. Like I'll right. be honest, I expect Philly to win this game. But if the Giants play like they did last week, they're going to be in it. I I think we're going to get favorites across the board. I think it's going to be Chiefs, Eagles. I mean, Bengals at Bills could be interesting. I, that might be my second pick. But, I mean, Josh Allen was not great uh, this weekend. I expect him to bounce back. If he doesn't, though, I mean, that Bengals team, that's a group that will take advantage of any mistake. Yeah, I mean, and I mentioned that earlier. Like, Josh Allen has really been, you know, not – he's been very careless with the ball. And he fumbled, was turned it right into a touchdown, defensive touchdown for the Dolphins through the couple picks, which led to some field goals for the Dolphins. And, and if you do that against the Bengals – and not Skylar Thompson. Like, Joe Burrow's going to capitalize. Like, yeah. The Dolphins got two field goals off those interceptions. Burrow's going to turn those into touchdowns. And that's when you give up you know, 21 straight points or whatever it is. And even the Buffalo Bills and that explosive offense is going to have a hard time at home coming up with that. So, you know, I think the Bills are the best team in the league. But at the same time, they are playing very sloppy. And Josh Allen not protecting the football. Then this is the one team, I think, the Bengals and the Chiefs. Bengals and the Chiefs are the two teams that you can't turn the ball over because they're going to turn into touchdowns. They take advantage of it. So I will be interested to see if the Bengals can hold up defensively against the Bills because uh, we know that offense is going to be fine on the other side. The Bills, they really got lucky that it was Skylar Thompson back there, not T- Teddy Bridgewater or Tua Tagovailoa, man. How, I- how injured was Teddy Bridgewater? If, because it was, it was basically break glass in emergency. Skylar Thompson was awful. Like, how hurt was Teddy Bridgewater that they didn't just put him in there? Because I felt like it should have been such an obvious choice to bench Skylar Thompson and go with Teddy Bridgewater. But if it was that bad, I mean, why why was he even active then? Why would you have him active if that performance doesn't yeah. warrant a substitution? I, I wonder if it was a matter of he can't, like, literally cannot throw the ball and break glass in case of emergency. And <laughs> hell or high water, we're handing it off 
yeah. literally every play. Because if that's the case, like, why would you not just have another active player than Teddy Bridgewater if he can't throw the football? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it, just, it was weird to me that he was active, but it's like, no, we're going to go with this guy who's under 50% and can't, you know, make a play. Yeah, which just goes to show how lucky Buffalo got because he was, he was really, really bad. Uh, the worst overall quarterback performance of the week, and yes, that even includes Trevor Lawrence throwing four picks in the first half. He almost went, uh, oh, who was the dude that threw five? Uh, so Doug Maroney. Well, Peterman didn't he threw he threw he, five. He might have threw five. Uh, Ty Detmer. I think yeah. He I was th- at like seven. I remember one. I Doug Maroney did once. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he avoided that and uh, rallied back very nicely. And of course, uh, in just about half an hour, the first round of the NFL playoffs wraps up tonight. Bucks hosting the Cowboys on Monday Night Football. So. Despite finishing the season eight and nine, Tampa's the home team. They did win a terrible NFC South. The 12 and five Cowboys have to play on the road. Now, Pro Bowl center Ryan Jensen was activated from IR. He'll be eligible to play for the first time this season for the Bucks. That's a big boost to the O-line. They're getting healthy at the right time. I sort of like, like all logic Every last shred of logic tells me the Cowboys are going to win this game. And it might not even be that close. I Like, I, I fully accept this and understand this. And I realize how crazy it sounds. But I'm not going to bet against Tom Brady ever again. Ever, ever again. And he's got to give me a reason. And, I mean, even, you know, when the Rams, uh, you know, they uh, met in the uh, the playoffs, it was, he he was... So good in that second half. He almost willed them to victory. And I know they were bad this year, or I should say mediocre, eight and nine. They were bad. Bad. He's he's not been good. But on a Monday night playoff game at home, I just feel like he's got just enough left to pull one more shocker out. And I know how crazy that sounds, but I'm not going to bet against this guy. And you might be right, right? Like, I mean, the. There's a certain athletes that you don't want to bet against. And for me, like, I thought the Lakers would make the playoffs this year because I wasn't going to bet against LeBron for another year. Like, they were bad right. a season ago, but I wasn't going to bet against them again. And I'm wrong. I'm wrong on that one. But, like, you might be right with Tom Brady. Like, second lowest amount or second least amount of points in the NFC the Bucks scored this season. So the offense hasn't even been good with Tom Brady. But how can you go against Tom Brady, right? Like, I am. I'm going Cowboys. I think the Cowboys on the field are basically ta- more talented at every position and I think both coaches are bad. I think Tom, Todd Bowles is a bad coach. I think Mike McCarthy is a bad coach. So unlike the Jaguars-Chargers game, I think the coaches are both mediocre, and that's not going to play too much of an effect on each other. Um, but I, I could be way off. And you're right. Tom Brady might just come out and sling it like he's you know 35, not 46 or whatever he is, yeah. and uh, which is pretty crazy to think about. But like, And he might just sling around. Mike Evans might have a great game. They still got the weapons. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, Leonard Fournette. It's not as if they're lacking talent on the offensive side. They just haven't put together. But having said all that, I still like the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys are going to go in and win by at least a touchdown and uh, advance take on the 49ers, which I think would be a better game in the divisional round. I, I would agree that it would be a better game. I just I, I, I can't do it. Vixen on Twitter, at Peter Sampson, already, he agrees with me. It's Tom Brady. I'm with you, Doug. But I if he wants to keep playing – and all indications are that he does, and probably not with Tampa Bay. I'm looking for him with the Raiders next year. He's going to have to show that he can still be that guy, right? I mean, at a certain point, like, no, we're not going to sign a 46, 
86-year-old, however old he is, we're not going to sign you to the, to a big contract. It's not worth it. The juice isn't worth the squeeze. I think he's got more to prove than just winning a playoff game, which he's done a ton of times. I mean, everyone's, not everyone, but a lot of people are piling on. And, of course, he had his uh, his personal life issues, you know, with his marriage come out. And a lot of people clowned that and said, why in the world would you come back when you didn't need to? And it cost you your marriage, even though none of us really know the truth. It sort sort of appears that way. I think he's going to be laser-focused, and Tom Brady is always laser-focused. I think he's really got a lot to prove, and he might shock us. I got one question for you, Peter, about Tom Brady. Do you think this game actually – and this is – I'm assuming Tom Brady is coming back next year. Maybe that's a bad assumption, but I think – I just don't think – I think he is. I don't think he wants to retire. I don't think he knows what to do with his life besides play football, which isn't a bad thing. Like, he's that good. Do you think this game – and if Tom Brady has a great game and can prove he can win the playoffs again, which sounds weird to see he has to prove it, but if he has a great game, does that make the market for him really high in the offseason where a lot of teams are going to come after him? Where if he has a bad game and isn't great, the market won't be as big and it cools off a little bit. I don't know that it'll be crazy high, but there will be a market if he has a great game because you always get a sort of a glut of teams in the middle where it's like, man, we got a pretty good defense and we have a decent back and we got, you know, maybe one key receiver, but we need a quarterback. Like like you look at, I don't know, the, the commanders or something like that. There's always teams like that where you go, man, we're just a quarterback away from at least getting in there and having a puncher's chance. And so a guy like Tom Brady where you obviously don't have to commit to like five years, yeah. it's going to be a one-year deal wherever he goes. I think there will be a market for him. And I don't mean this as a slight to Tom Brady because he is the best of all time, but he is kind of that like missing piece guy, right? right? Like he is the missing piece to a team. He's not. He can't. He can't just carry a team now. He's not that good anymore. He's not that Tom Brady. But he could be a missing piece guy to elevate you from great to elite or good to great rather than, you know, from good to elite. I think so. And it all starts tonight, about 5.15, Monday Night Football. Uh, if you're in Portland, listen to that on 7.50 The Game. If you are outside of Portland, that'll be on ABC and ESPN. All right, we'll go away, wrap up hour number two on the other side. I'm Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. As we uh, run up to the Super Bowl, going to start hearing about Super Bowl commercials. I don't know if they're as uh, interesting as they were maybe 20 years ago, but uh, I know Michelob is going to start airing a series of Caddyshack-themed ads during the Super Bowl featuring uh, like Tony Romo and Alex Morgan reenacting scenes from the movie. I'm into this. I love Caddyshack. And yes, I did confirm Kenny Loggins' I'm All Right will be used. So I'll be watching for this. They don't grab me like they used to. Like, there have been some great ones. And I think a lot of them were because I was younger. I loved them. Like, I remember back, I think it was 92, 93, the, the Larry Bird versus Michael Jordan McDonald's one where they were playing horse, you know, over the backboard, off the window, blah, blah, blah. I, that one was really fun Nothing to me. Nothing but net. Nothing but net. I loved that one. I think the greatest of all time 
was uh, Reebok's Terry Tate Office Linebacker Series. If you've never seen that, do yourself a favor and YouTube Terry Tate Office Linebacker. Uh, do you remember that one, Stephen? I don't. I'm going to have to uh, Google this. Oh, my point. gosh. I, I just made your day. I promise. And there's a whole series of them. And it's kind of like The Office. It pre it predates The Office. But it's that sort of, you know, you're in the workplace and there's the camera following you around. But it's, uh, yes, Terry Tate, the office linebacker, um, you know, who, you know, you didn't make more coffee uh, and so he just blasts you, you know. You killed a Joe, you make some more. You know that, baby. That's right. You killed the Joe, you make some more. Words to live by. I'll tell you, here in this office, the uh, it's different now because, like, a lot of the a lot of us are are hybrid workers, not those of us that are on air. But there's a whole but there's a whole team at you know marketing and sales and all this stuff. They work from home a lot, and they come into the office sometimes. But back in the day, when everyone was in the office every day, it did not matter what time I came into work. It didn't matter. And this is back when I was a little less established, and my schedule was it, it just varied. It, today, you're coming in at noon. Tomorrow, you're running this sports game at 7 p.m. The next day... You're coming in on the the first shift, and you need to be here at 4 in the morning. It did not matter when I came in. The coffee pot was empty. And at the news station, there's a really nice guy, but a political talk host who I, I, I like, disagreed with on everything. We found commonality. You want to find commonality with your common man, reach across the aisle. You know, we disagree on things, but we're still people, and we can get along. It would drive both of us insane, and we would have the best, most connected conversations about how people are animals, and when they killed the Joe, they don't make some mo. So do that. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald-faced truth. Final segment of the program. Short show today. JC will be back tomorrow. It's a holiday. I'm always honored to get to sit in the big chair. Normally, they give me a wobbly stool with thumbtacks embedded in it. And he gets this nice, comfy, lazy boy. Leg massagers, like calf massagers. You can uh, open up one of the armrests. There's a nice cold beer in there, and I'm always looking over at him like, man, I want a chair like that. And on very rare occasions and federal holidays, they give it to me. It's always an honor. So he will be back tomorrow. If you're in Portland, I will be back tomorrow on my show, which is immediately after the Bald Face Truth. It's called The Pulse with Peter Sampson, 6 to 7 on weekdays. And we have a lot of fun. I mean, we talk some sports, but uh, we get down. <laughs> I guess I'll just say that. We, we we get a little loose with it. You know what I mean? Like, you know when you're up late, like as a kid, you stay up late, and, uh, you know, the Domino's pizza's been killed, and you're just thriving off of Mountain Dew. It's like 1.30 in the morning. You get a little punch drunk, a little loose, loosey-goosey with it. This is the adult sports radio version of that.
been a long day, a full day of sports talk. Let's have a little fun. You're driving home. You had a long day. It's 6 o'clock. You're stuck in traffic right now. Let me help you out. That's what we do on The Pulse. So make sure to catch that in Portland. Uh, and I will be there tomorrow. In the meantime, it's 5 o'clock. Let's do The 5 at 5. The 5 at 5. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz of Wilsonville. See more than 4,000 vehicles at Swickert.com. Well, it's official. C.J. Stroud is headed to the NFL. Ohio State quarterback declared for the draft today, which was the deadline for underclassmen to declare. He called the decision one of the hardest he ever had to make. Okay. And thanked OSU fans for welcoming a kid from Cali into the Buckeye family. He could be a top five pick. He probably will be. And there's a chance he'll be the first quarterback taken. It'll probably be Bryce Young. Real quick, Steven, which quarterback will have the better NFL career, Stroud or Young? Um, I actually think C.J. Stroud. I think Bryce I Young. I do, too. Bryce Young a little too small for me. Uh, give me C.J. Stroud. What about Will Levis of Kentucky? No, you can have him. <laughs> <laughs> C.J. Stroud declared his eligibility today. Second thing, five at five. This scared me. Rumors are swirling around the Rams' Aaron Donald. He appeared to hint at a career move with a very slight edit to his social media profile. He edited his Twitter bio to former NFL D lineman for the Rams, number 99, which left many, including me, to wonder if the 2022 NFL season was his last. And if you remember last year after the Super Bowl, he kind of uh, teased at it, alluded to it, said he didn't know and I think a lot of us said well this is a ploy to get a new contract which he deserves he's Aaron Donald best defensive player since Lawrence Taylor in my opinion you can argue that but you're wrong now he later changed it back to its original caption now there's two things here because I looked at that Twitter bio and it says you know former and had all his college stuff and then former D lineman for the Rams now, there's a chance that a uh, social media intern accidentally put former on both those things. There's a chance he did it himself on accident and then got the uh, hullabaloo and changed it back. There's also a chance that he's going to retire. Stephen Vaughn, who's first to retire, Tom Brady or Aaron Donald? Oh, um, Aaron Donald. I think you're right, as much as it pains me to say. Legendary career legendary career. He makes that whole defense better. Maybe not so much this year. He missed some time. Third thing, five at five. Sports agent Scott Boris is in the news, and he is trashing the Mets. Now, as a Braves fan, I'm up for anyone trashing the Mets. Let's do that. Hey, Mets, way to collapse down the stretch, you losers. (laughs) Anyway, that's not what Scott Boris is talking about. In a new interview... Boris talked about the team and the botched deal with Carlos Correa. And he said, quote, I don't understand the Mets. I gave them all the information. We had them talk to four doctors. They knew the issue the Giants had, and yet they still call the same doctor the Giants used for his opinion. There was no new information. So why negotiate a contract if you're going to rely on the same doctor, end quote. 
Now, Correa re-signed with the Twins. He got way less money than he was offered by San Francisco and New York to the tune of more than $100 million less. I don't blame the Mets for asking the original doctor. If you're going to commit that kind of money to someone, do all of your due diligence. So you had them talk to four doctors. How did you choose those four doctors, Scott Boris, whose sole interest is getting your client as much money as possible? I have no problem with this whatsoever. So I know there's the question, did the Mets ever have an intention of signing Correa? I think they did. But so four plus the original, that's five doctors. And they were told enough that they were not looking to move forward with a massive $300 plus million deal. Do I think the Twins did the right thing by re-signing him? Yeah, because they got him for less years and less money. It's still a lot of money. But uh, I think it's a lot more reasonable to hope that that leg holds out. Fourth thing, five at five. Not to be confused with a former jailblazer, Alabama basketball player Darius Miles is facing capital murder charges after a fatal shooting near campus. Police say the shooting occurred early Sunday morning. Miles is a junior bench forward and another man were both charged. A police report says at this time, it appears the only motive was a minor altercation that these individuals had with the victim. There was no previous relationship. It's never good. It's always kind of shocking to me when an athlete, you know, whether it's a superstar, whether it's a college star, whether it's a college bench, whether it's a guy I've never heard of. I didn't even know there was a, a, a guy named Darius Miles. It's always shocking when someone throws their life away over what was reportedly a minor altercation. Now, early Sunday morning, once again shows nothing good happens after midnight. Final thing of your five at five in just about, well, five minutes. The first round of the NFL playoffs will begin their final game. Bucks are hosting the Cowboys Monday night football. Despite finishing the season with an eight, nine record, Tampa's the home team. As we know, they won a terrible NFC South while the Cowboys 12 and five. Very good. Despite Dak Prescott being, I'll be honest, a little erratic this year. He made some questionable throws, took some chances he maybe shouldn't have, threw, threw a few extra picks, but they're still on the road at 12-5. and five. Now, the Bucks, great news for their O-line. Ryan Jensen, their Pro Bowl center, was activated from injured reserve. He's going to play for the first, or he'll be eligible to play. I would imagine he'll play. Why, otherwise, why activate him? For the first time this season, Tampa Bay, if you're looking at all the numbers and all the positional groups, they need all the help they can get. They are not the better team. But I'm not betting against Tom Brady. I'm just not going to do it. So I'm going to be watching this tonight. It's going to be fascinating. ABC and ESPN on TV here in Portland on 750 the game. That's your 5 at 5. So I'm picking the Bucks. I think it's going to be a great game. Brady's going to show some magic. But again, the Cowboys... Just a more talented team pretty much across the board. So this is where a uh, force meets an immovable object, and we'll see what happens in the final first-round game. Great, great weekend of NFL action. Great weekend for the Blazers. They blow out a team ahead of them in the standings back-to-back games. Doesn't get any better than that for me as a sports fan. With that amount of time, I appreciate you listening. I want to thank Stephen Vaughn for helping out. I've been Peter Sampson. This has been the BFT.